Luke chapter 2. Uh, we we're on a journey through Luke and it's going to take time and we're in no rush. And we will now and again come out of Luke and do other stuff and then go back into Luke again. But we've, so far we've, we've covered before Christmas the, some of the, the familiar texts and we look particularly at songs. Zachariah sings a song and Mary sings a song and the angels sing a song. And today we'll have another singer, a guy called Simeon. And we're also going to look a little bit at Anna as well in this passage. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, verses 22 to 40. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's a bizarre sort of a verse, isn't it? Took Jesus to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, before I read on, I just want to point something out there, which isn't sort of the main bulk of the message. I want to have a look at Simeon. But three times in those three verses, something comes up and it's the law. Yeah. The law of Moses in verse 22. In verse 23, according as is written to the law in the law of the Lord, and in verse 24, in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Whenever Luke writes, we can't be absolutely certain what audience in particular he's writing for, but one of the things that, that does seem apparent with Luke is he's trying to assure the Gentiles that they are in. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, who's probably a Gentile. And I think Luke is writing to assure these people, yes, you're part of this gospel. It's not just for the Jews. So he's, he's writing to the Gentiles to say, you're in. And he's also writing to the Jews to say, listen, guys, the Gentiles are in. So he's trying to convince both groups that both of them are, are fully uh, part of the gospel. And that's why I think here in those three verses, three times, he emphasizes the fact that Jesus was raised in the law, that he was brought up in a way that adhered to the law of Moses. He wasn't just a renegade. He wasn't a maverick. He didn't blow in and start sort of creating trouble. He was a guy who at his very heart, in his home, in his upbringing was the law of Moses, the law of God. And I think the reason why Luke does that and he emphasizes it so strongly is that he's saying to the Jews, you need to listen to this guy. This guy is one of you. This guy kept the law and therefore you should listen to him. Whereas if Jesus had not kept the law, the Jews could have just said, well, we're going to have nothing to do with him. We're expecting the Messiah and, and we're not having anything to do with a guy who does not keep the law. So Jesus kept the law and that gave him credibility and it gave him a hearing with the Jews. And if we sort of just bring that and, and superimpose that onto our own lives, do our lives give us credibility with people? Do our lives, do we earn the right, by how we live, do we earn the right to be listened to? If we're going to talk to people about a transformed life, are we living transformed lives? Because <laughs> otherwise people will just sniff it out and reject it because they'll see hypocrisy in my love. You know, if, if we're going to call people to prayer, are we people of prayer ourselves or are we all talk? If we're going to call people to, to read the word and to know the word of God, are we people of the word ourselves? 
You know, you've got to have credibility and integrity and truth in your life if you're then going to call other people into that life. Jesus had to keep the law in order for the Jews to actually listen to him. And we have to live a certain way if people are going to actually listen to what, what we want to share about who Jesus is. Paul writes to Titus, a really hard verse at the end of Titus 1, where Paul refers to people who profess to know God, but deny him by their works. In other words, they say, I am a follower of Jesus, but their lifestyle denies what they say. And Paul says about these people, they are detestable, (laughs) disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's the word of God about people who say they're one thing and live in a different way. So we have Jesus keeping the law. And we also have the fact at the end of verse 24, just in passing, to note that this family was poor. They couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice. And the alternative was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So even though Joseph had a job and he worked hard, they did not have a a huge amount of money. Jesus was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. So Simeon then, verse 25, I'm going to read from from here just to the end of the passage, the end of verse 40. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled, at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Simeon is just a regular guy. He's not a priest. We're not given anything about his family background. We're not told whose son he was. We have nothing about this fella in terms of the usual history or background that might be presented. And this didn't happen um, among the, the, the religious people again. This, this happened to a guy who was insignificant, who was probably largely overlooked by the rest of the society around him. He was probably quite old, although we don't know that for sure. It does not say that in the, in the text. But it does say four things about him. 
that I wanted to point out about Simeon. The first thing that, that we read about Simeon is that he was righteous. Now that's pretty simple. That meant he did what was right. It doesn't mean legalism. It just means he, he was right in how he lived, in how he treated people, in how he honored God. He was a righteous man. So he was, he was righteous. I'm not going to go through them in exactly the order that they're in in the text. Another thing we know about Simeon is that he was spirit-filled. Now, you may have noticed when I read verses 25 to 27, there's another thing emphasized. The previous verses emphasized Jesus keeping the law, and Luke states that three times. But here, look at verse 25, the end of the verse, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Start of verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and in verse 27, moved by the Spirit. Three times. Luke is absolutely emphatic about this. And he's probably more emphatic about it than the other gospel writers in terms of his, his, his emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Three times he states that the Holy Spirit was active in Simeon's life in a way that was rare in the Old Testament. Occasional, but rare. He was a man of the Spirit. The Spirit was on him and revealed things to him and moved him to do stuff. Can that be said about us? Can that be said about us? When was the last time the Holy Spirit revealed something to you? I don't mean some, some brand new doctrine or some, some, you know, going off down some random stray path. I mean just a revelation of the Holy Spirit about Jesus. Maybe while you're reading the Word, maybe while you're praying, maybe while you're ministering to somebody and the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. This is what happened to Simeon. And also in verse 27, the Spirit moved him to do something. When was the last time the Spirit moved you to do something? Has he ever moved you to do something? Maybe he did, but you didn't move. <laughs> and you need to move for him to actually move again and tell you to do something else. Is it, you know, it, as you review and just think of your own life and where you are at the minute, is there something that you're doing that you can say, I'm doing that because the Spirit moved me to do it, compelled me to do it, gave me a vision and a burden and a desire to do it. Are we people of the Spirit as, as Simeon was? So he was a spirit-filled man. He was also a patient man. He was, it says in verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. I hate waiting. Do you ever get asked that question? You're on the phone or you're, at, you're doing something and someone says to you really politely, are you okay to wait? Just like, no, I'm not. I don't want to wait. NHS, would people ever say that in the NHS? Are you okay to wait? No, I'm not. And if you're on the phone, this awful music comes on, you know, over and over again, distorted, tinny music plays. I hate waiting. Lines, queues, traffic jams, tills, phone calls on hold. We just hate waiting. But Simeon was a patient man. He was a patient man. What are you waiting for? Now, you can take that question two ways. The wrong way to take it is, you know, sometimes when somebody's sitting about and they're not doing anything and you say to them, what are you waiting for? That's not what the question means. The question's asking, what are you waiting for? 
What are you patiently trusting God for? Simeon had been given a promise that he would see the consolation of Israel. We'll get to that phrase in a minute. And Simeon, when he sees it, in verse 29, he basically says, I've seen what God told me I would see, now I can die. <laughs> that's, that's it. He's like, once he sees Jesus, he's like, that's it. Everything I've waited for, everything I've ever wanted, the, the word of God to me has been fulfilled, I can die. There's no need for me to, to, to continue any further. What is it that you are waiting for? Have you given up? See, waiting, this sort of patience, when I say that Simeon is a patient man, I don't mean he, he's patient with other people. That's a fruit of the Spirit, which is called long-suffering, which just means getting along with people in the body of Christ that you maybe wouldn't normally get along with, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you do. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about that patient, long-term trusting in God. Do you want to just open that sweet and eat it like her? <laughs> I was just Sorry, man. <clears throat> yeah, it's not your average church. <clears throat> what are you waiting for? What What is it that that once once God has done it, you can say that's it? I've everything I've yearned for, everything I've longed for. I think patient waiting is is very much underestimated in the life of a Christian. I think it's a sign of real mature faith when we can wait. We can say, I don't have it yet. I long for it and I will wait patiently for it. I think David in one of the Psalms says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Abram waited impatiently. Abram had a child called Ishmael. Ishmael has been a curse to the earth. He didn't wait. He tried to speed things up. You know, what are you waiting for? And not only what are you waiting for, how are you waiting? Are you waiting in constant frustration, anger? Or are you waiting patiently with deep trust in God? You know, one of the things that I always think about when, when I think about Simeon, you know, I read, I read a, a chapter in a book about Simeon years ago and and this phrase is not used in the chapter, but it just, it's what came to me about the Holy Spirit being for the long haul, the whole journey. The Holy Spirit is not just a sort of a flash in the pan. The Holy Spirit comes for the long haul. And as I was chewing over this and, and thinking about it over the last week or two, you know, a question came to mind, do, do you want a firework? Or do you want fire? A lot of us sometimes, I think, in our attitude to the Holy Spirit, we want a firework. We're like, oh, do something class. Do something big and bright and loud and draw lots of attention to it and have lots of people going, ooh, ah, isn't that amazing? That's sort of what we want in terms of the Holy Spirit sometimes. We just yearn for some great boom, flash in the sky that everybody will look at and say, yes. But you know what? A firework's gone in a fraction of a second. 
it is useless beyond that fraction of a second of entertainment and beauty. But a fire burns and burns and burns and burns and provides heat and provides light and consumes rubbish and refines gold. Do you want the Holy Spirit to be a firework or do you want him to be a fire for the long haul, burning the whole way through life's journey? Because in Simeon, we see a man who has walked with God and who is filled with the Spirit for the long haul of a patient, righteous, devoted life of waiting and trusting God. Is that your view of the Holy Spirit or is it all? And you know what? I love the odd firework. I've got to admit, I love the odd firework. But you can't build your life on fireworks, right? Fire, fire, constant fire. The Holy Spirit has come from the long haul. He's come to get you home. Sometimes when I, when I read about the Holy Spirit being like a dove, I don't know whether this is theologically correct or not, but I think dove and then I think pigeon, my favorite bird, and I know that a pigeon has a homing instinct. Take a pigeon a thousand miles away, maybe that's true. No, I think you can do that. And, and release it and it goes home. And it's a very simple little idea that I sometimes have about the Holy Spirit that, that God put his homing pigeon inside us to get us home. When Jesus sent the Spirit, he says, right, there, go into those people, go into that man, go into that woman and get them home. The long haul, the journey. So he was righteous, he was spirit-filled, he was patient, and it also says he was devoted. It says in verse 20, 25, he was devout. He was a devoted man. His righteousness was really towards other people. He did right for other people. His devotion was towards God. I think we need more devotion among the people of God. This is not to set to one side our brain and our thinking but I just think we need more heart among the people of God more love for the king more devotion he was a devoted man and he was a man of the word his devotion was to the word of God I want you to note in verse 26 no verse 25 he was waiting for the consolation of Israel now with that one word, consolation, Luke is doing something. He's pointing you back to Isaiah. Isaiah 40 begins with the words, comfort, comfort my people. And starts a new section in Isaiah that runs from chapter 40 to chapter 55 that contains what's called four servant songs. Interesting that Luke's gospel starts off with four songs as well. And Simeon is waiting, his whole life, the thing that he's waiting for is Jesus. He's waiting for the Messiah. His life is so consumed around seeing the Messiah that as far as he's concerned, once he's seen him, he can die. <laughs> That's okay. He's seen all that he needs to see. And I want to just look at his song for a minute or two, and I want you to show how devoted this man was to Scripture. So the song is this, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now you picture the scene. Joseph and Mary bring their little baby boy to the temple. 
In the temple, there's a slightly eccentric, spirit-filled old man bouncing around. Yes? And he is there and he's praying as he does on a regular basis. And when he sees them come in with the baby, he runs over and grabs the baby. Alarm bells start ringing a little bit. And he starts whirling and jumping around with the baby in his arms. And he sings this song. He's overjoyed. The spirit in him lets him know that this is it. This infant, this child is what he's been waiting for. And if you look at the song carefully, you'll see that it is absolutely saturated with scripture. And the scripture is all from that section of Isaiah, 40 to 55. So Simeon sings, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Isaiah says the Lord will bear his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, all the peoples, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. (coughs) Simeon sings about a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then Isaiah writes, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Simeon sings about the glory of your people Israel and Isaiah writes of, I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. The point is, Simeon bleeds scripture. Cut Simeon and he bleeds the word of God. He's a man who's filled with the spirit and he's a man who is filled with the word of God. And if you cut him, out comes scripture. He is saturated with the word of God. And because he is saturated with the word of God, whenever Mary and Joseph show up, he's able to prophesy. He's able to minister. He's able to get a revelation from the Holy Spirit. And here's some real simple biblical advice for you. If you want to be a person of the Spirit, you better be a person of the word. And if you want to be a person of the word, you need to be a person of the spirit. The two go together. In Northern Ireland, we have this thing sometimes, and it bugs me, that we, our, our trinity in Northern Ireland can sometimes be Father, Son, and Holy Book. In other words, if you don't share my theology and my understanding, we're not together in this thing. But that is not the trinity. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Book. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this man of the Spirit who has saturated himself in the Word of God is then able to speak forth prophetically as the Spirit tells him to. That's just real simple advice. You want to be a person who who engages in prophetic ministry? You want to be a person who God uses to build up and encourage the church? Get this book all through you saturate yourself in it. Soak yourself in it. Did you start 2020 with a plan? Did you start it with a reading plan? Did you start it with something that's going to take you through this book and get it into you? Because only by filling yourself up with this will you then be able to overflow with it by the power of the Spirit to encourage others. If the Holy Spirit spoke in Spanish, you'd learn Spanish. And if he spoke in Latin, you'd learn Latin. He speaks the very words and the revelation of God. So we should therefore learn the words and the revelation of God. That does not mean that every time somebody prophesies that that prophecy must be a direct quote from Scripture. But if it's actually going to be something from God that will build people up, it'll come from a heart and a life that is saturated with the truth of this book. 
That's just simple. Don't sit and say, I'd love to have a prophetic ministry if, if you have no time to soak in this book. It'll never happen. Or it'll never happen with any effectiveness. The tone then changes after Simeon's song. He, the Mary, in, in verse 33, Mary and Joseph marvel at what's being said. And then Simeon turns to Mary and the tone changes. He's taken the child off them and he's sort of spun around and jumped about and sang publicly the verses 29 to 32. And now he remembers other things in Isaiah. Because in Isaiah 40 to 55, you've also got Isaiah 50, which talks about those who will pull out his beard. It talks about those who will put the, the stripes in his back. You've got Isaiah 53 and you've got the crushing and the wounding and the bruising. And it's almost as if all publicly Simeon's jumping around and singing and shouting and then he remembers this and he goes quietly to Mary and he says, listen Mary, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. He says, this child, there's going to be a falling and rising. There's no in between. <laughs> you either fall or you rise. And that word rising everywhere else in the New Testament that it's used, it's used in the context of resurrection. There's no in-between. Christmas morning I talked about the, the fact that there's no in-between. We looked at Herod, we looked at the religious people and we looked at the wise men and said there's no, this is not a spectrum with middle ground. Same thing here. There's no in-between. You fall or you rise. Jesus has that effect. You can't be indifferent. He will be destined for the falling and rising of many. He will be a sign that will be spoken against. People are going to oppose him. People are going to oppose him. How do you know this, Simeon? I read it in Isaiah. I know the scriptures. I've soaked in the scriptures and I'm able to bring truth to you. In fact, Simeon, I think, and I'm saying this with a slight caution, but I think he's the only person in the Gospels who understands by revelation that Jesus is going to suffer. I think everyone else has to have it told to them. He knows by revelation and by a life soaked in the book of Isaiah, he knows, Mary, this is going to be hard. There's going to be pain in this journey. Your soul will be pierced, Mary. It'll hurt. You know, if we're going to follow Jesus in a world that is hostile to Jesus, we're going to become objects of hostility. Sometimes I wonder why the opposition is strong. Sometimes I wonder why the discouragement can be potent and seemingly never-ending. Sometimes I, I, I get frustrated with it and then I just have this simple thought, hang on, you've chosen to follow someone who was crucified. It's not going to lead to popularity. It's not going to lead to popularity. There will be discouragement and there will be challenge. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Simeon talks of the pain that Mary will go through. And I see a little sort of theme here that I think you'll see in, in any life of walking with God and trying to minister for him. We've got this, the deep devotion of Simeon's life. We've got an audacious vision that he has that God gives him. And then we've got profound pain that is associated with it. That, that de devotion vision but if the vision's going to come to pass there will be pain i chatted this time last year to quite a few local leaders just about leadership and about choosing leaders and 
one of the pieces of advice that I was given was this. Leaders need to have a high pain threshold. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Leaders need to have a high pain threshold. Because it'll hurt. Seeing a vision become a reality will hurt. And I think an awful lot of us, we lose the vision. There's a message that I preached a few years ago, and I'll probably dip into it slightly when we move onwards and look. But a message that was entitled, Don't Let Your Dream Die in the Wilderness. A lot of us get a call from God in our lives. We go into the wilderness to do 40 rounds with the devil, and we come out the other side, but we've left the call behind us in the wilderness. We've allowed Satan to wrestle it out of our hands. And some of you are in the wilderness right now. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't come out of that wilderness without clutching on to the call and the dream that God has given you. Another thing that Jesus will do, according to Simeon, is it says in verse 35, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Do you know what, folks? The presence of God exposes the heart. If you, again, you want, we want the presence of God. We want to enjoy the Holy Spirit moving among us. We want to, we want to have, have an environment of faith when we come together and we really know that we're in the presence of God. Do you know what will happen as a, as a consequence of that? The heart will be exposed. The heart will be exposed. But you know what? If your heart's going to be exposed, let it be exposed in a safe place. I feel this is a safe place. I feel your heart can be exposed here and will be handled with care, not with condemnation. But the presence of God will expose our hearts, mine included. Jesus will reveal the hearts of many. So that's Simeon, righteous and devoted and spirit-filled and patient. I'm only going to take two minutes on Anna. <clears throat> Beautiful name, Anna. And the question for Anna is this. Let me remind you of what it says about her. She was very old. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And depending on what version you have, it could say then she was a widow for 84 years, which would suggest that she was just over 100 or it could say she was a widow up until the age of 84. Either way, Anna's life did not go the way she planned it. Anna got married, full of joy. Young Anna, probably only a teenager with her, her husband. But after seven years, he died. What do you do when life does not work out the way you planned? I think if I was to ask for a show of hands whose life has not gone the way it was planned, probably every one of us. Something that we thought would happen, should happen, hasn't <coughs> happened. Anna's life did not go the way she planned it. Seven years of joy with her husband and then 60, 70 years of being a widow. What do you do when life does not work out the way you planned? Well, it says of Anna, she never left the temple. She never left the presence of God. She worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 
We sang earlier, through every loss or victory, my soul will rise to only bring you glory. Do we sing truth, church, or do we sing lies? In loss, does your soul still rise to bring him glory? Hmm? Or do we only let our souls rise to bring him glory when we're in victory? Through every loss or victory, my soul will rise to only bring you glory. Anna was devoted. Will she allow her disappointment as she stands at the tomb of a young husband? What's she going to do? What's she going to do? Is her disappointment going to fester into bitterness, anger against God, and turning her back on him? She made a decision and she engaged in a life of worship, fasting, and prayer. And by the time you get to the end or to where we are at Luke chapter 2, you've already met a broad group of people. You've met the old priest, Zechariah, and his barren wife, who are now blessed with a child at last. You've met the young woman, Mary, and her fiancé, who are having a child sooner than they thought. You've met the shepherds trying to make a living on the hillsides around Bethlehem. You've met the angels. You've met the old spirit-filled man, Simeon, devoted to the scriptures, waiting patiently for the Savior. You've met the old widow, devoted to worshiping God and praying for the redemption of God's people. And what Luke is doing is he's just presenting this wide spread of people and saying, no matter who you are, this story is for you. This Jesus in the feeding trough in Bethlehem is for you. Rich, poor, old, young, whatever, this is for everyone. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for all the Annas, female Annas and male Annas, I ask for those who are sitting here, many, maybe nearly all, who thought life would be a certain way and it is not the way they planned. And their plans, Father, were not selfish. They were not self-centered. They were not greedy. Lord, I pray, Father, that the disappointments, the frustrations will be turned into worship and prayer and devotion. Father, I pray you would make us a people who patiently wait and who trust in you, Lord. Give us that mature walk in the Spirit where we're not just going from one firework to the next, but we are a fire, your spirit within us, a fire, purifying, light and life and warmth giving, Lord. We just thank you, God, for your word. May we learn from these two characters who just briefly step onto the pages of this great story and then step off again. May we learn much from them, Lord. But God, I just pray you would encourage this people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.